You're listening to Scattered by Anchored Baptist Church, where we work to reflect the diversity of Hermanus as we gather to hear the good news about the person and work of Jesus and as we scatter to share it. We hope that you enjoy. song. This week I had the excuse to go on YouTube and listen to 15 different versions of this song. I chose this one. It's a newer one. But a man named Pete Seeger in the late 50s took these words from Ecclesiastes 3 to make a point about something. I don't know what that point was. It became an anti-war song. The idea being that somehow we can remind people that the time for war has passed, and the time for peace has come. Hate must stop, love must win. Kind of like a person jumping in front of a high-speed train and yelling, STOP! Well, it doesn't work that well to sing to war, or to simply say that hate is bad. I do actually love the song, or else I wouldn't have listened to it 15 times. However, the ineffectiveness of the song gets close to the meaning of the text today. So let's start by reading the first eight verses. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. A time to be born, and a time to die. Plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill, and a time to heal. A time to break down, and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate a time for war, and a time for peace. You know that there is a season for everything. We're not always winning. (laughs) We're not always happy, healthy, and wise. We're not always at peace and surrounded by people that love us the way that we need to be loved. So we may be tempted to think, sure, this makes sense to me. Good things happen, bad things happen. And I'm just going to take it as it comes. Well, that's a fine way of looking at the world, I guess. (laughs) But that is not the wisdom that the preacher is trying to teach us right now. That wisdom could lead, in a biblical sense, to what the Apostle Paul 
talks about in Philippians chapter 4 when he tells the church that in suffering or in joy, he has learned to be content in all things. That is good wisdom that you should allow to shape your life through the power of the Holy Spirit. But the preacher here wants to put our lives in the context of time. Time as a gift given to us by a creator who is not affected by or changed by time. Last week in chapter 2, we already learned a bit about a time for being born and dying. The preacher taught us that this would happen to us all, no matter if we were wise or stupid. Sorry, foolish. And, and this seems severe and serious to him. It made him hate life, he said. Maybe to say it another way, he, he hates that this has to be the way things go. However, we also learned last week that through this painful knowledge, he also learned that God does not leave us in a mess that is without joy. Instead, he gives us good gifts to enjoy, and the preacher encourages us toward the enjoyment of those gifts. And only, and only, when we see our life and everything in it as gift, do we escape the downward spiral, the never-ending hole of miserable worry about the future and death. Also, last week we said that for the preacher there was a time of building up, which led to disappointment. And to this response from him, When I considered all that I had accomplished and what I had labored to achieve, I found everything to be futile and a pursuit of the wind. There was nothing to be gained under the sun. That's Ecclesiastes 2, verse 11. This led to a time of tearing everything apart that he had built up to get at the greater wisdom and truth behind it all. And what about these other things from the poetry that we've already read this morning? Planting and reaping, killing and healing, weeping and laughing, mourning and dancing, collecting and throwing, embracing and refraining from embracing. That's what we now call social distancing. <laughs> Seeking and losing, keeping and getting rid of, tearing and sowing, silence and speaking. I can say at our house, we're still waiting for that season of silence. It might take a while. <laughs> Loving and hating, war and peace. We will experience all of these in some way or another. And the preacher is not telling us to be content, although that may be the end product like it was for Jesus or Paul. No, he is preparing us. This is wisdom writing, wisdom literature. He's getting our minds ready for everything that is going to come at us in this life. And he's not saying that all of these things just keep on turn, turn, turning. And what goes around comes around. He's also not saying that now that we know, we can get control over all of it. 
One writer talking about this passage said it this way. For example, in the Garden of Eden, God told Adam and Eve ahead of time what they could expect regarding the, the landscape of their days, the layout of their days. He told them about the land, the animals, their love for each other, their food, work, and the absence of any need to be frightened by anything. He also told them of two trees, two kinds of life, and the possibility of death should one of these trees experience misuse by them. Then, after death came, God prepared them ahead of time regarding how their days east of Eden would change. That's in Genesis chapter 3, verses 16 to 19. The Proverbs also attempt to prepare us for life. And so do the Psalms, where we read about joy and sadness and stress and war and failure and success. The Apostle Paul does this for us when describing the ministry of himself and his companions in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 8-10. to 10. Through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise, we are treated as impostors and yet we are true, as unknown, and yet we are well known, as dying, and behold, we live, as punished, and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. Paul, God in the garden, the songwriters of Israel, and now the preacher of Ecclesiastes are all teaching us about the seasons of life that we will encounter. But we don't get to choose how or when they happen. We don't get to choose how life comes at us and how we experience those seasons. So after all that beautiful poetry, the preacher tells us this, what does the worker gain from his struggles? I have seen the task that God has given the children of Adam to keep them occupied. He has made everything appropriate in its time. He has put eternity in their hearts, but no one can discover the work God has done from beginning to end. Wait, what? I thought this was going to be hopeful. No, in the middle of all these times, these seasons, we are left all spent up. We are left with the question, what was the purpose of all this toil? What was the purpose of all the progress that I made in 2019 and the jumpstart that I was going to get in 2020 before COVID hit? Could we not have gotten a bit more of a warning on this thing? Couldn't God have warned us so that we could have all been much better prepared than we are right now? The seasons of life that the preacher is talking to us about are not like summer, autumn, spring, and winter that come every year right on time. These seasons come when we are not ready no matter how hard we work to control them or just hope that they never show up. And 
how can all of these things be beautiful in their own time or appropriate in their own time, as different translations say? Well, I'm not sure. But we do know this. You see, God put eternity in our hearts, which is why very few people in this world honestly believe that death is the end for them. They always think something comes next, even if it's just that they're a floating cloud of good feelings. And yet, we cannot begin to understand why God does what he does. And we should never assume that we do know all the reasons why God does what he does. Sure, he is a God that has made himself knowable through his word and through his son. But why this death at this time? This war, fight, argument at this time? Why peace but not soon enough by my standards? Why looking forward to a new year of success and then reigning all over my parade with a pandemic? The big idea here is not that life is full of good times and bad times and so that you just have to roll with the punches. Rather, the message is that life is full of good times and bad times that we cannot control. But the patterning, the the the... Um, the way that God sets it up, the patterns in our life, in this way, uh, we're a part of a larger pattern that God controls. It's not just that good follows bad, follows good again, and then that's it. The point is that we can live within the pattern that God has designed and accept not having all the answers to our times of pain. This means that we have to accept not being in charge. This means we have to accept that the world has already humbled us before we've met any part of it, and we have to understand that the more we know, the less we, the less we understand, and that that is okay. Verse 12. Verse 12. I understand that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. This is the conclusion the preacher left us with last week as well. In the midst of every season, God has given us gifts. He has not left us alone or forgotten us. Each new season that we are faced with forces us to adjust and remember that God does have a purpose for it, even if that purpose doesn't right now seem directly re related to me. Verse 14, the preacher continues, I understood that whatever God does endures forever. Uh, it just keeps going on. It never stops. It never ends. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken away from it. God has done it, so that people fear him. That which is already has been, and that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. The end of verse 15 is a little bit strange. It could be translated, God gives justice to the persecuted. 
which leads us into this last section of chapter 3. Moreover, verse 16, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. And I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. At the end of this book, the writer will pop by for a second to remind us that God will bring every deed, every work, every action, every thought into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And here, the preacher knows that injustice will not go unpunished. He knows that there is something deeply wrong with the world, but that God will fix it on the last day. And then, he takes a dark, or rather, a darker turn. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man, that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of men and what happens to beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beast, for all is like smoke. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes downward, down into the earth. Now, these verses could confuse and distract us uh, because we're not familiar with this type of argument or writing. The point he is making is similar to that of the wise person and the fool from last week. We both die. Here, the family dog and the owner both die. So what's the point? Are we only beasts? Since it seems to be that that's the way we treat one another with injustice, with our own survival as the only goal? What advantage do we really have? None? Maybe we don't even return to God at death. Now, this is an extreme turn to take only to lead us back to the gift we have been given by God. Really, the preacher here was taking it to the furthest extreme. To show us that this is, this is a ridiculous notion. And yet we do still die. So verse 22. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work. For that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Who can see the end? Not me. Or you. Verse 11 already pointed us to the fact that there is only one who knows the beginning from the end. In fact, there is only one who is the beginning and the end. In our liturgy this morning, we also read from Colossians 1 that this person is the beginning and the end because by him and for him everything was created. That's Jesus. He knew the seasons of this world all too well because he came and took part in it with us. Paul reminds us in Romans chapter 5 verse 6 that at just the right time, 
Jesus died for us. And in Galatians 4 verses 4 to 5, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. The preacher wisely taught us that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it or taken from it. And on the cross, Jesus declared just that. He declared that that was the final word when he said, It is finished. Because, because of that day, we don't have to fear the judgment day when all the injustices are made right because all your sin and all your junk Jesus already took upon himself. He became your sin and your death for you. So that, in every season, whether good or bad, we can be certain that in our failures or in our short-lived successes, God has done it. He has settled every matter and every work for us so that even now we can enjoy the good gifts that he has given to us. The seasons of life will change and shape us, but what Jesus has done for you lasts forever. Rest in and rely upon that. Trust in Jesus. Take heart in the here and now. See the good for what it is, a pale picture of a perfect life spent forever with God. And see the bad for what it is, a rebellion from God in a broken world. But in all of it, find the joy that God has gifted to you in the small things. Do good to those around you. Eat, drink, and enjoy your work because God has given it all to you. The seasons of this life will change and shape us. But what Jesus has done for you lasts forever. Until next time, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you all.